So tonight is part two of a three-part series, and this three-part series is based on this remarkable book, which I recommended last week and I want to recommend again, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. It's a book in the, most of the book, she just goes through the emotions, and it's, it's a detailed study of emotions, a lot of research-based conclusions, and she, she really explains uh, subtle distinctions, words that get blurred together in everyday life, like everyday life, you might, you know, jealousy and envy, for example. People use those almost interchangeably, but there is a difference, and she explains those kinds of distinctions. Um, and it's, it's an incredibly well-written book, but, but what's in, what intrigued me, and really, in my mind, what seems the most important part of the book, so most of the book is about the study of emotions, but the last part, she lays out her theory about cultivating healthy connections. And she talks about the skills for healthy connections in these three buckets, grounded confidence, the courage to walk alongside, and story stewardship. So over these three Dharma talks, I'm going to talk about each one of those, as it were, each one of those buckets. So last week I talked about grounded confidence. Tonight I'm going to talk about the courage to walk alongside, this, this collection of skills that she talks about. And the first thing I'll say about if we we really want to be with other people, we need to have good boundaries. And this is one of the things she points out. We need to have good boundaries ourselves. We need to respect other people's boundaries. And part of boundaries is really knowing, you know, a, a simplistic way to say it is knowing where I end and where the other person begins. Knowing what my issues are and, and what are not my issues. What, what should I be taking responsibility for? And what would it be neurotic for me to be taking responsibility for? Um, I think it takes a certain amount of emotional and spiritual maturity to really come to terms with the fact that each one of us is totally responsible for the emotions we experience. You know, in, in everyday life that that gets blurred a lot. You know, we have a lot of language in everyday life that, you know, that person made me angry. That person made me upset, you know, as if that other person has agency over my internal states. Um, You know, as opposed to that, there's that really very beautiful and very challenging Buddhist teaching you know, the, the person who triggers us, the person who upsets us, is our teacher. You know, it, of course, it's the very last thing we want to hear when we're triggered or upset. But um, the person who triggers me is showing me where I'm attached, where I'm holding on. They're showing me the, the, the edge where I have to work inside myself. You know, and so there's... Part of boundaries is really ultimately having a, a tremendous sense of self-responsibility, you know, because it, it's so tempting if someone triggers me, you know, for me to, to lash out, you know, you made me angry, you got no right to say that, you know, this sort of thing. Um, 
much harder to go inward and take responsibility because it's often often something that I haven't been looking at because it was something I pushed away because it was a bit uncomfortable, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and of course, in an ongoing relationship, it may be that later on I can share, you know, when you when you said such and such, that brought up anger in me, you know, the, the language of, of nonviolent communication, really, making very clear, you know, you know, I'm not blaming you for what I feel, but I'm, I'm naming what I felt. Sometimes I've, I've heard the word uh, sovereignty used for this, emotional sovereignty, really the, the deep sense of everything I feel I'm responsible for and really, really taking deep responsibility for that as we walk through life. So boundaries are very important. And the, the courage to walk alongside, it's, in some sense, it's about going all in with connection. Um, you know, we, can, we often feel when someone's connecting with us and they're, you know, they're showing us a little bit, but they're also like holding back a little of themselves, you know, and, and we know how that feels. Um, the courage to walk alongside is really about going all in. And this is precisely why boundaries are so important, because if I don't have good boundaries and I try to go all in, then there's going to be entanglement and enmeshment and taking responsibility for stuff I shouldn't take responsibility for and, you know, blurring of my issues and the other person's issues. So it, it, boundaries are just crucial for all of this. Now, there are a couple obvious kinds of, of traps that, that pull us out of being all in with somebody. Um, one is judgment. And judgment is really funny. You know, what, what often happens in, you know, when I start having judgments about something, um, you know, I see somebody doing something in the world, something they do, something they say, something they embody. And, it, you know, it may be healthy, it may be dysfunctional, you know, whatever. And it might even be, you know, what I actually see or the motives I impute to them, you know, fairly or unfairly. Um, but it touches a place of shame in me, a place where I, for whatever reason, I feel I don't have permission, you know, and, and those are often very childlike places, you know, you know, I need to be this way because if I, if I deviate from this, I'm going to be a, a bad person. I'm going to be a naughty person kind of thing. Um. And so then I see the person out in the world doing that, and it's like the, the infantile place immediately says, well, that person's being a naughty person, you know. Um, and it's always the nature of shame, how to say it. Shame is, is the lowest of all feelings. It's the feeling that I'm the absolute bottom of all creation, you know. And often what shame is looking for, for as a kind of momentary release is just an, an opportunity to, to top someone, to be one up on somebody, you know? And judgment provides that. It's this, it's this grand fantasy of, you know, I get to be the moral authority and say, that person shouldn't be like that, you know, this sort of thing. Um, 
you know, whenever we find ourselves going into judgment, that is a, that's a profound teaching to, to look inside, you know, and what, what in us, you know, because chances are very good if I'm judging somebody else harshly, I'm also judging a part of myself harshly, you know, and what's going on there and what, what is the, the judgment and what is the, the permission that I'm not giving myself, this sort of thing. So, of course, part of um, the courage to, to walk alongside is being non-judgmental and really being in that space where we're really extending this just by our very being. We're extending a kind of invitation, uh, you know, the other person, you can come as you are kind of thing. Another thing that can pull us out of being in connection is the urge to give advice, the urge to help, the urge to fix, you know. And it's one thing if somebody asks for our advice, that's great, you know, but, um, you know, how can I say? It's all these, uh, it's problematic when, you know, somebody else is talking about their problems and then I immediately go to, let me be the fixer. Let me be the, the, the person who you know, start spewing solutions at them, you know, this sort of thing. Um, that's a control issue. Uh, Anne Lamott has this, uh, this lovely line, help is the sunny side of control. And, it, and control is about power, you know. It's about wanting to have a kind of power over. Um, and so by contrast, and this, this is uh, Brene Brown's language, rather than power over, healthy connection is about power with or power to, you know? In other words, we're in this together, or how can I, you know, by what I say, how can I empower the other person? You know, how can I support them in stepping into their own agency, you know, as opposed to seeing myself as the solution. So being non, non, non-judgmental and embracing power, power with or power to, as opposed to power over. So when we're, when we're really all in with somebody, that's about compassion, it's about empathy, and it's really about... Um, Brene's Brown's language is being other-focused. And that's such a profound teaching, being other-focused. Because I really think there are thousands of ways that we don't even realize it, that we're so self-absorbed and self-biased, you know? And usually we don't even see that until it, you know, it gets called out in some situation. Um... But it really is, it's such a profound learning over and over again. How do we really be other-focused? And she has, Brene Brown has this other, um, this other way of phrasing it also. She talks about being relational, you know as opposed to being, you know, transactional, you know, what am I going to get from this kind of thing, you know, actually valuing the relationship itself. 
And it really, this, this calls to mind this, this actually a wonderful term from Confucianism. It's a term that is not, um, not very well translated by a single English term. It's the, the Chinese character Lu, and it's often translated as courtesy or propriety, something like this. Um, but it has a much more specialized meaning. Confucius himself said, I am not an educator. I am not an innovator. I've only, I only pass on what I've heard from the ancients. Um, but he was being very humble. You know, in fact, he was an innovator. And, and this is one of his most profound innovations. He took this, this character, and in, in his time, so this was late Zhou Dynasty, this character simply referred to the temple ritual, the, the, the sacrifice in the temple. And it referred to the kind of attitude and bearing that people would have as they move through the most sacred ceremony, you know? And he took that term and applied it to all human relationships, you know, with the, the profound implication that any time two people are in genuine connection, that's one of the most sacred things on earth, you know, and needs to be revered and treasured as something sacred, you know? And, and just think about that. How would you, how would the way that you relate to people change if you looked at connection itself as a manifestation of the sacred? You know? And of course, the, 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 the final, the, the greatest of all these, uh, these skills is compassion itself. And I was thinking about this. It's very funny. You know, Buddhism talks about, you know, we need to have compassion for all beings. And, and I'd say there's definitely one set of skills that we develop if I'm being compassionate to strangers, to everyone on the BART car, to, you know, compassionate to the people suffering in other parts of the world that I've never met, you know. I mean, there, there's something valuable about that. But it's a whole different set of skills that we learn when we're practicing compassion with the people that we're in conversation with every day, when we're practicing compassion with the people that we're intimate with, you know? Um, and it's not that one is better than the other, but really both of them are needed as it were, you know, both, we need both the, the relationship to the very general and also the deeply personal and specific. And compassion is, is understood in Buddhism as one of the four illimitable minds, the four mind states without limit, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And they're called mind states without limit precisely because these are four states that if we, we follow any one of them authentically, it leads us beyond the limits of ego. You know, it just demands a kind of sacrifice of ego to follow the, that path fully. And I'll also say the, the, the whole idea of framing this skill as the courage to walk alongside. Um, there's something very profound in framing it that way. Um, one of the places, when I hear that phrase, one of the places my mind goes is, of course, to the, the famous uh, Edmund Pettit Bridge in Selma, 
you know, that famous walk that the the civil rights workers are trying to do simply to walk across the bridge to go to Montgomery. And, you know, the, the first couple times they did it, they were beaten back by by state troopers, you know, and just the idea that, you know, just the the courage to walk alongside in some in some instances, walking alongside somebody is a very courageous act, you know, Gandhi's march to the sea, you know, all this, these sorts of things. Um, how courageous are you willing to be in love and connection? You know, that, that's, that's a profound question and a question that we all could return to over and over again. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. I'll share it first with the, the Zoomies. I'm a teacher, so I always have handouts. <laughs> So at the very top, I list the the three buckets of skills. We're talking about number two in this one, the courage to walk alongside. And underneath that, the elements of that, um, the ones in italics are the ones that I added. The ones that are not in italics are the ones that Brene Brown listed under these skills. From St. Teresa of Avila, the great mystic, love alone gives value to all things. From the great sage of Concord, Ralph Waldo Emerson. The glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand, nor the kindly smile, nor the joy of companionship. It is the spiritual inspiration that comes when one discovers that someone else believes in him and is willing to trust him with his friendship. The poet Rilke said, The point of marriage is not to create a quick commonality by tearing down all boundaries, on the contrary, good marriage is one in which each partner appoints the other to be the guardian of his solitude, and thus they show each other they show each other the greatest possible trust. A merging of two people is an impossibility, and where it seems to exist, it is a hemming in, a mutual consent that robs one party or both parties of their fullest freedom and development. But once the realization is accepted that even between the closest people infinite distances exist. A marvelous living side by side can grow up for them if they succeed in loving the expanse between them, which gives them the possibility of always seeing each other as a whole and before an immense sky. I love this one from Groucho Marx. When you're in jail, a good friend will be trying to bail you out. A best friend will be in the next cell saying to you, damn, that was fun. You know, but it really is, you know, it it raises this interesting question. You know, are we the person who who's safe on the outside who offers help or are we, you know, in the experience with the person, you know? From Hazrat Inayat Khan, 
A person who alone has seen something beautiful, who has heard something harmonious, who has tasted something delicious, who has smelled something fragrant, may have enjoyed it, but not completely. Complete joy is sharing one's joy with others. Anna East Nin said, each friend represents a world in us, a world possibly not born until they arrive. And it is only this meeting, in this meeting, that a new world is born. William Arthur Ward said, a true friend knows your weakness, but shows you your strengths, feels your fear, but fortifies your faith, sees your anxiety, but frees your spirit, recognizes your disabilities, but emphasizes your possibilities. Ramdas said, the heart surrenders everything to the moment. The mind judges and holds back. Rachel Naomi Raymond, a wonderfully wise woman, said, the most basic and powerful way to connect with another person is to listen. Just listen. Perhaps the most important thing we ever give each other is our attention. A loving silence often has far more power to heal and to connect than the most well-intentioned words. You know, and I, I often think of that quote in, in combination with the Mary Oliver idea that, how does she say it? The, the first wisest and wildest thing I know is that we have a soul and the soul is made entirely out of attention. You know, when we're really giving someone our full attention, we're giving them soul energy. Wayne Dyer said, when you judge another, you do not define them, you define yourself. Mary Rose O'Reilly said, attention, deep listening. People are dying in spirit for lack of it. In academic culture, most listening is critical listening. We tend to pay attention only long enough to develop a counter-argument. We, we critique at the the student or the colleague's ideas, we mentally grade and pigeonhole each other. In society at large, people often listen with an agenda to sell or petition or seduce. Seldom is there a deep, open-hearted, non-judgmental reception of the other. And so we all talk louder and more stridently and with, with a terrible desperation. By contrast, if someone truly listens to me, my spirit begins to expand. Bell Hook said, Honesty and openness is always the foundation of insightful dialogue. I love this one from Gary Moore. A friend is someone who walks into a room when everyone else is walking out. Lewis Erdick said, Life will break you. No one can protect you from that, but living alone won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It is the reason you are on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. When it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes near you, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself you tasted as many as you could. The poet David White said, I often talk about the conversational nature of reality. The fact that whatever you think you are never survives a meet, never survives meeting anything other than you. And anyone in an intimate relationship knows whoever woke in the morning does not survive the first conversation in the kitchen with your spouse or loved one or partner. You're, always, you're into something that's more a frontier, something 
quite often disturbs you, subverts you, and is almost always asking you to be bigger than yourself. Sadie Smith said, Stop worrying about your identity and concern yourself with the people you care about, the ideas that matter to you, the beliefs you can stand on, tickets you can run on. Leslie Jameson said, Empathy isn't listening. It's asking questions whose answers need to be listened to. Empathy requires inquiry as much as imagination. Empathy requires that you know nothing. Empathy means acknowledging a horizon of context that extends perpetually beyond what you can see. George Alexiu simply says, friendship is thinking of the other person first. And I think in closing, I'd just like to say, I think it's a deep truth of life that we are all made by love, made of love, and made for love.